people. Thank you. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was uh, looking through the topics from the book of Proverbs that we've been going through this summer as we near the end of this series, and we've covered a lot of ground this summer and a lot of really important topics. Um, But I was struck with so many of the topics that we talked about, pretty much every topic that we've talked about is really like, uh, it's super binary in, in Proverbs. So we have this choice between wisdom and folly, two things, work or sloth, friendship or enmity, blessing or cursing. Harsh speech or holy speech? Accountability or isolation? Honor or dishonor? Generosity or greed? As Simon said, when when we look at these topics, there's not really like a gray area in between where we can sort of live in between these things. We're choosing one or we're choosing the other. But there is one topic in Proverbs that is dealt with a lot that doesn't have this sort of clear either or to it. And that's our topic for today. Today we're going to talk about envy and jealousy. So would you stand this morning for our scripture as you're able? This is from Proverbs 24 and then also from Proverbs 14. My child, eat honey for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such for your soul. If you find it, you will find a future and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against the home of the righteous. Do no violence to the place where righteous live. For though they fall seven times, they will rise again. But the wicked are overthrown by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemies fall. Do not let your heart be glad when they stumble. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger from them. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not envy the wicked. Or the, for the evil have no future, the lamp of the wicked will go out. And then Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil mind gives life to the flesh, but jealousy makes <clears throat> the bones rot. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. <clears throat> This is, uh, you might not know it, but this is one of the most important musical acts in American uh, rock and roll history. Uh, not exactly rock and roll in the way we think about it, but right after Elvis and, and Jerry Lee Lewis had their big breaks, came these guys. Who knows who these are? The Everly Brothers. The Everly Brothers. Uh, Don and Phil Everly um, offered songs like Bye Bye Love, uh, Wake Up Little Susie, and this one, uh, All I Have to Do is Dream. They made some really remarkable and beautiful music. Just listen to the harmonies here. Beautiful. Amazing melodies. And they were known for their impeccable live performances like this one. Um, Without the Everly Brothers, there is likely no band like the Beatles. You can ask Paul McCartney himself. He says this is one of his biggest influences and there's no way the Beatles are who they are without the Everly Brothers. No one probably would have realized from their beautiful music and their incredible showmanship, that their relationship was totally and completely fractured, pretty much the whole time. 
from the time they were young, their dad put a ton of pressure on them to enter into the musical business in like a really dangerously unhealthy way. Don uh, began to resent Phil for his sort of lilting tenor voice uh, that sort of stole the show. And then Phil felt that Don had way too much power and control uh, in their performances because uh, Don was the lead guitarist. He was the much better guitarist of the two. And as their fame rose, their relationship actually got colder and colder. By the late 60s, they had had enough, uh, and they actually were on stage in a performance and had a fight on stage where Phil got off and said, I'm not an Everly brother anymore, and Don had to finish the show by himself. They didn't talk to each other for over 10 years. Now, bands fight all the time, uh, but not typically when they're brothers, right? This is family. Even after being willing to talk after 10 years of total silence, they were angry with one another. They oftentimes refused to be in the same space. In fact, they uh, tried to make some money with a comeback album in 1984 um, where they actually recorded it in a way that they never had to be in the studio at the same time. You can imagine that's not a very good record, uh, and it's not. Um, Phil died in 2014 uh, from lung cancer. He smoked his whole life, and um, at his deathbed, uh, he and Don had never reconciled their relationship. Now, this is just one cautionary tale. There's many others, but it got me thinking, how many people who are seeking to follow Jesus are making really beautiful things in their life, are doing great things, are projecting so much good stuff to the world while their interior life is rotting away? How many of us live with sort of this throbbing anger that belies the desire of what we actually want to communicate and tell the world? Envy has a unique way of doing damage in our lives. It is uniquely evil. Proverbs tells us that. As Solomon says, envy makes our very bones rot. What an image, right? So as we get into envy, uh, I have five questions. Maybe you're asking some of these already uh, that I think will help us get into this topic in Proverbs. First question is this, what is envy? How do we define it? Well, to define envy, we actually have to look at a couple different words in the Bible uh, that, that sort of build to this idea of envy. And the first word is to covet. Um, you may remember that when you, if, if you learned the Ten Commandments as a kid. Uh, it occurs in the Ten Commandments where the the people of Israel are told not to covet their neighbor's house or wife or livestock or any of their belongings. Covetousness is, is pretty simply when we desire something that we don't have. We look at something and we go, I don't have that. I wish I had it. But there's a Hebrew word that sort of develops as the Old Testament goes that actually runs much deeper than just covetousness. The Hebrew word is kana, and that's where we get this translation of envy or jealousy. They're actually the same root word for envy and jealousy. They're, they're kind of interchangeable in scripture. Um, envy is, 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 um, is a little deeper, and, and, and uh, jealousy has to do more relational jealousy of the relationship that maybe two people have being jealous of that. But the best definition for envy is from the 13th century church father, Thomas Aquinas, who has a reputation of getting to the point when he makes definitions. He says this, envy is an irrational anger at the success of others. An irrational anger at the success of of others. John Ortberg in his book, Love Beyond Reason, says this long quote, but quote, envy is wanting what another person has and feeling badly that I don't have it. Envy is disliking God's goodness to somebody else and dismissing God's goodness to me. Envy is desire plus resentment. Paul said that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but envy causes me to mourn when others rejoice and rejoice when others mourn. Envy is dangerous because it's opposed to other people. Sins like greed and lust are simply about the gratification of my desires 
Envy not only seeks self-gratification, but it seeks that I diminish the person that I envy, end quote. Envy is rooted in anger. It wants something that it doesn't have, and not only that, it doesn't want the other person to have that either. That's kanah in the Bible. And particularly Proverbs, it is something that we have to give great attention to because it, it rots away at our bones at the very structure of our lives. So that's envy. Question number two, which I'm sure some of you are asking, why are we talking about this? It's a nice sunny day. It's beautiful. We have a cookout coming. Why are we talking about envy? This is kind of a bummer. Well, it's worth talking about envy because envy is universal. Uh, I said a couple weeks ago that not every proverb that we read is going to be applicable to everybody. Um, But envy is something that I think we all deal with. I think it's baked into the human condition. Some of us deal better with it than others. But we have to realize that we are all conditioned towards envy, especially if we're not looking out for it. There is a multi-trillion dollar marketing industry whose sole job it is to convince you that, the things that, that, that there are things that you deserve that you do not have and that you should have them. There's a whole culture online and in social media where people project themselves as enviable, right? The perfect family, the perfect vacation, the perfect new toy, the perfect body, the perfect photoshopped airbrush filtered photo that presents the very best of their appearance. We are constantly asked to compare, to desire, to compete, to acquire, and to tear other people down. A lot of money put into that. So maybe it's just a modern issue, right? If we get rid of our smartphones and our social media accounts and our TVs, then envy is not going to have a hold in our life. Well, I want to tell you that it wouldn't hurt, but envy on some level is inherent. There's another story about two brothers. Cain was envious of the sacrifice that his brother Abel bought to the Lord because the Lord was pleased with it. And his anger burned with him so hot with envy that he, he chose violence. He murdered his brother in cold blood. There's a king named Saul who had a lot of good qualifications to be the king but, but became envious in his heart of his heir-to-be, David, and spent his entire adult life wrapped in, in paranoia and retribution until his very dying day. He lost his ability to be king. There's a prophet named Jonah in scripture who was so scandalized by the repentance of the Ninevites, feeling that they did not deserve God's grace, that he sat out in the desert and pouted rather than rejoicing in God's miraculous work. Even the 12 disciples who had the benefits of spending their day side by side talking with Jesus, we find that they are preoccupied with the question, hey Jesus, who's going to sit at your right hand in the kingdom? Is it me? Come on, it's me, isn't it? I'm going to get to sit at your right hand in the kingdom, right? All of these are examples of envy way before our modern technological conveniences. This pattern continues today. Take the Amish, for example. Um, These are communities that are built around equity and simplicity. They they actually have a book called The Ordnung. Um, The Ordnung is like all of their rules uh, for community life together. And it actually says on the first page of The Ordnung that the whole point of of, of these ordinances, this rule book, is to combat envy, right? So that we wouldn't envy. We would live peacefully in community with one another. And I have so much respect for our Amish brothers and sisters. And lots of times I think they must have a a much better better life than, than I do. But I want you to know, it does not eliminate envy, even to have a rule book that tries to eliminate envy. ABC did a story on the Amish, and a man named John was interviewed, and he said, quote, somebody builds a house, a nice big house, okay, then the next has to have a bigger house. Sound familiar? Somebody has a nice new buggy, and you have to have a nice new buggy too. Sound familiar? 
And he says, that's envy. That's envy. So when you, even when we go to great lengths to eliminate envy in our lives, it finds a way in if we're not careful. It finds a way in if we're not careful. That's why we're talking about it today. Third question, why is envy so evil? Maybe you don't like the word evil. I'm not crazy about that word either. But, but why, why are we talking about evil things? Isn't it okay to desire some stuff that we don't have? Do I really have to be happy for everybody that has something that I wish uh, that I had? Well, maybe I guess it's okay to, to feel those things. But James 3, 16 tells us, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. By the way, James is the closest thing that we have to the book of Proverbs. And he says envy is cancerous. It eats at us. It rots within us. Furthermore, and I think most interesting, at least in my life, it tends to alienate me from the people who are most like me. People who ought to be like an ally in my life. I tend to envy people who have similar interests, similar gifts, similar callings. The very people that I should be co-laboring with. That's where envy can creep in. But envy drives us apart. It makes potential allies to competitors. And Proverbs is really clear on this. Envy produces no good fruit in our lives. Not a bit of good fruit. It's a sin that, that seems to offer happiness via comparison, but that's, that's a lie. So if we lose whatever the comparison competition is that we've created in our minds, we move towards what? Despair, resentment, depression. We learn to hate our neighbors, and oftentimes, like Jonah, we end up hating God for for withholding what we consider to be an essential element of our happiness. But if we win the competition of comparison, we fall into bloated pride in our sense that we are God's unique gift to the world. And here, too, what we're doing is the same thing. We're diminishing our neighbor so that we can puff ourselves up. And Proverbs says it so clearly in our passage today. Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy them because there's no future in that. They don't have a future, and if you're an envious person, neither, neither do you. That's why envy is actually considered to be one of the deadly sins throughout church history. I prefer to use the word capital sin. Capital sins are, are the sins that cause all sorts of other sins in our lives, making discord and dysfunction sort of the norm. So if I'm racked with envy in my heart, that's going to give rise to all sorts of other sins in my life. It's going to breed contempt in me for my neighbor. I'm going to start speaking poorly about other people to keep them down and preserve my ego. I'm going to find ways to diminish other people's character. I'm going to gossip, slander, stand in judgment. I'm going to be married to things like ambition in order to surpass somebody as I climb the ladder to success. And I'll lose empathy and compassion and care. And I think you know what I'm talking about because we're all tempted towards this. James also says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth because such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What is James saying? Envy is evil. It's so evil. And note here that James doesn't make envy this external issue. It it might manifest itself externally in a way that uh, we treat other people or the things that we say, but James makes it really clear where does envy come from? comes from the heart. comes from inside of us. There's something wrong internally. There's a, there's a malady in our hearts when we're filled with envy. And this leads me to the fourth question that you might be having. Okay, so if not envy, what should I be pursuing instead of envy? What should I be pursuing instead of envy? 
Um, as I noted earlier, the book of Proverbs doesn't offer us a clear antonym for envy. In fact, I don't think uh, that I could find really an English word that, that uh, expresses the opposite of what envy is. There might be phrases or, or things that we can use to convey it, but I don't, I don't think there's a single word that we can use to express it. So we can wish and pray that we wouldn't be envious people, but I always like to ask the question, if I'm going to put off that sin in my life, what sort of virtue, what sort of characteristic am I taking on in its place? Uh, Bishop Robert Barron has a great way of talking about this. He uses the image of a rose window. Um, we have some lovely stained glass in this uh, sanctuary, which I'm so very thankful for every Sunday. Um, but if you visited the majestic uh, Gothic cathedrals in Europe, you're likely to find most of them with a rose window uh, in the back, the back of the nave. And we actually have a window in the back of the nave up there. It's not a rose window, um, but it does have something in common with every rose window, and that is Jesus is in the middle. Jesus is at the center. So um, this right here is the, is the rose window and, uh, at the Cathedral of Notre Dame uh, in Paris. And uh, it's kind of the gold standard for rose windows. There's three of them uh, in this cathedral. And uh, Jesus is in the center uh, with Mary. He's kind of holding up a hand of, of uh, authority and blessing. And then from that little center panel, you see other little panels going out from there that depict the 12 disciples and, and various saints. But then there are also panels going out from there that depict virtues. Things like patience and chastity and long-suffering and martyrdom and scripture and prayer, etc., things like that. So it's constructed in a way that the central Jesus holds all of these together in unity. And Bishop Barron says that if Jesus is no longer at the center of these elements, they all kind of fall apart. He's the one that holds them together in unity. So what are we supposed to put in place of envy? Well, let me ask, think of your heart as a rose window. What's at the center of your heart? What's at the center of your heart? Is it envy? Because if so, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to flow from that. With envy at the center, there's going to be things like ambition and success and pride and a need for fairness and constant comparison. Flowing from that are going to be vices like discouragement and cynicism and contempt and prejudice and disquiet and cruelty and even violence. But if the center of our hearts is Jesus, what flows from that is the exact opposite. When envy is central, we end up saying things like, I want that thing. They don't deserve that, and I do. I don't match up. I'm lacking so much. I need to win. I'm going to make my own good. I'll be content when I have what I desire. I'm going to knock that person down in order to lift myself up. But when Jesus is placed at the center of our hearts, we say things like, I'm God's child. I'm content. My circumstances will not steal my joy. His grace is sufficient for me. I lack nothing. I'm secure in who I am. I'm content. I have to note, some of you know that in 2019, there was a massive fire in Notre Dame. You want to know what survived? The three rose windows. I'd like to think that if there was an envy window, it would have gone up in flames. But Jesus holds even those together. Uh, but what an image, right? Jesus holds things together. Even in the circumstances of our life, he holds those things together in unity. So the last question. How will we know if we're defeating the enemy? How will we know in our lives if, 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 if envy is, is being put away and Jesus is at the center of our hearts? 
Well, there's no antonym for envy, but I think that scripture provides the opposite. I've already read it in the sermon. It's from Romans. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think that's the opposite of envy. Finding joy in the success of other people and feeling sorrow when they hurt, when they fail. It's empathy and joy. So let me ask, are you able to do this freely? Does this come naturally to you? Are you able to rejoice, especially in the success of people who are closest to you, who've received accolades that you wish you would have for yourself? Are you able to feel empathy and true sorrow at the failures of a person who may be considered a competitor in some way? If we're able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it's a pretty good indicator that we are keeping envy at bay. Envy is always a, a temptation for us. It always prowls around us. But the more empathy that we show, the more that we can be confident that Jesus has that central place in our hearts and we're keeping him there. And I don't think we can have empathy until we practice contentment. We can try to be content in many ways, but true contentment is only found in Jesus. He's the one who tells us that we're loved, that we're enough, that we don't have to compare ourselves to other people, that we don't have to be consumed with our desires. In Jesus, we can understand and acknowledge that our deepest identity is not found in success or in failure, but in our union with him, in our contentment with him at the center of our lives, holding all things together. When envy is the center of our lives, we're self-obsessed with our accomplishments and our standing and our status, and we're never fully content. We can't be. It's not possible. But our standing before God doesn't depend on our accomplishments. Neither someone else's success nor our lack of success changes who we are in Jesus. Neither someone else's failures nor our own have any bearing on who we are in him. We are secure before him. And then we can go and be secure before the world that he's given to us. It's contentment and security in Jesus that grants us the opportunity to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So friends, to end, uh, envy is a rot to the bones. The structure of our lives, it, it turns brother against brother. It steals joy and peace and goodness, and it ruins a lot of beautiful harmonies in this world. So instead, I want to invite you today to center your hearts on the security that comes only from Jesus. Learn the way of Jesus so that we can be people of empathy and contentment. Let's live into the wisdom of the Proverbs, which says that anything that we could possibly envy is fleeting. Money is temporary, beauty fades, things become obsolete really quickly, status is fleeting, popularity is a mirage, perfection is not attainable. These things do not lead to life. But Jesus, at the center of our hearts, does lead to life. He makes us love rather than resent our neighbor. He models for us weeping and rejoicing at exactly the right times and in the right places. He holds all things together in unity. An envious heart is the way to death. But having the heart of Jesus is the way to life. I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer. And as I do so, I just want you to close your eyes. Maybe you've been able to identify already ways in which envy has taken hold in your heart. Maybe it's been... Maybe it's had a hold in your heart for a very, very long time. Maybe you know specific things, or maybe it's just a 
a spirit of, of envious feelings. I'll invite you, if you're, if you're comfortable to do that, to just put your hands on your lap. And I want you to envision just, a, a, put, put your hand into a fist and just envision you're holding on to that envy, that comparison, that accolade that you didn't receive, that lifestyle that you didn't attain, that blessing that somebody else got and not you that status that you wish you had. And I just want to give you a few seconds to to pray a prayer. I couldn't possibly give you words. It has to be prayers that come from your own heart, but just prayers of saying, God, will will you take this away from me? feel comfortable and you feel and you've really prayed that prayer honestly you can just open your hands and feel release just as we close our fists and and bring them into open hands Lord you have the ability to take this envy away from us that's been eating at us that's been damaging our relationship that's been rotting good things that's been stealing joy Lord, would you give us the courage to place you at the center of our lives, of our hearts? We know that you can hold all good things and all virtues in unity for us. Lord, we don't want envy to be the center anymore. And Lord, we thank you that you are God who cares enough about us to release us of these things that damage us. Lord, would you teach us what it means to follow you in weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Lord, what better model could you give for us, your church, as we seek to be your hands and feet in this world as one who who wept with those who wept, who rejoiced with those who rejoiced, who was content and secure in the love of his heavenly Father. May it be so for us, Lord. May it be so for your church as we seek to live wisely in this world that you've given to us. We pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.